Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fifth episode of your new favorite internet show, VisionCon Live. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. You came to see the man of the hour, a man who needs no introduction, but is going to get one anyway. He's the voice of Porky Pig and Tweety Bird from Looney Tunes, No Face from Spirited Away, Arsene Lupin III from Lupin III, just to name a few. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the absolute legend, Mr. Bob Bergen. Bob, how are you doing today? I am well. How are you doing? Oh, dandy as candy, Bob. Thank you so much for being on the show. Sure, my pleasure. Well, Bob, I really wanted to start off kind of the similar way that I do with all the celebrities I introduce. I would like you to just start us at the beginning. Give us the superhero origin story of Bob Bergen. Uh, are you talking about just as a human or in the business? Uh, both. Let's, uh, like, where are you from? Kind of how did you get into the business, find yeah. out about the business, and just kind of... All that stuff. All that stuff. Uh, I was born in the Midwest. I was born in St. Louis. And uh, I was just a fan of animation. I was like every kid waking up on Saturday morning watching cartoons and eating Cap'n Crunch and <laughs> cutting the roof of my mouth with really hard cereal. And I would... Uh, I was enamored with animation, but you know, all things animation. I loved uh, the old Fleischer Popeye cartoons. I loved the Looney Tunes. I loved Bullwinkle. Um, I loved Scooby-Doo. I just loved cartoons. And um, I had a knack for doing voices. Um, and my, my mom used to tell a story that it would be Saturday morning, she'd be in the kitchen doing dishes and she'd hear the cartoons in the living room and she'd hear the lines repeated. And she thought that was odd, so she stood behind me and she would hear the line on the TV, then she would hear the line from me. And she, A, had no idea I was the one doing that, and B, had no idea I could do it. And she said, how long have you been doing that? And I said, I didn't realize I was even doing it. So for me, it started out as just being a fan. And as I got older, um, I, I, I wanted to be Porky Pig. I didn't want to just work in this. I didn't even know there was a business called voiceover or a or business called doing voices for cartoons. I wanted to play this one character. So my dad moved the family to LA when I was 14. And not for me to do this, he just took a job here. So I just thought, well, I'm gonna explore this. And I just went through this thing that kids don't know what this is, but it's a thing called a phone book. And it lists phone numbers. And I just called anything in the phone books that said cartoons or animation. That was the yellow pages. And then in, in the white pages, I found Mel Blank's phone number and I've told the story a million times, so you can find a longer version elsewhere. Um, I called him up. I crashed a recording session, pretending to be his assistant. Um, I realized he's still doing this, and my voice hadn't changed, and I was a kid in ninth grade. And I came home and called Hanna-Barbera, and they referred me to a guy named Dawes Butler, and I started studying voiceover, and I studied acting, and I studied improv. A week out of high school, I got my first uh, agent, and my first cartoon. And then five years later, um, I was able to make a living at this. It took me about five, well, it took me about, I would say nine years from my first class to working actor. So I, I quit my last day job when I was 23. Wow, 23? So what, what do you think was your first big like breakout role? Kind of the one that kind of puts you on the map? I don't think anything ever put me on the map. I don't, I think, you know, when you're a, a voice actor is, well, first of all, we didn't even know people knew who we were or watched our product until fan conventions. You know, um, I, there were no fan conventions when I started out. 
So I would do something and, you know, my mom liked it, but I didn't know anybody else watched it. If, a, if I was on a show that was picked up for another year, I was on a film that I didn't even, who stays for credits? Um, so I didn't even know people enjoyed what I did. I think the first major job I did after getting my first agent was probably the movie Gremlins. I think that was the first big, 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 big thing that I did. Um, cause it was a, it was a Spielberg movie and it was directed by Joe Dante. And that was, uh, that was, that was pretty cool, but that was my goodness. Um, well before I, I was, I was working as a tour guide at Universal Studios when I did Gremlins, which was filmed on the back, even though it was a Warner Brothers picture, it was filmed on the back lot of, of Universal. And, um, I used to do Gremlin voices on the tram for the guests as they went through there before the movie came out and after the movie came out. So, um, you know, I don't know if anybody has like home video of that, but it's, I, perhaps it's, it's, it's valuable. I don't know. I don't I mean, know. It's gotta be archived somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. I'll check out YouTube. Somewhere. So do you have any preference? I mean, like, like all the guests that we've interviewed, I mean, your guys' IMDb pages are so long. I mean, if I went, took the time to go through each and every one of these characters, you know, we'd be here all day, but you know, are there right. any specific, uh, roles or characters that you've done that really kind of speak to you? I'm sure I'll go over some of the big ones, you know, throughout this interview, but you know, just yeah. to start off with, are there any ones that just, you know, really have stuck with you over the years? Well, definitely Porky Pig. I mean, that's the reason I got into the business to begin with. Um, and, you know, every time I'm asked to do that character, it's a great day. Um, I think working for anything I've ever done for the Pixar people, because the word, the, the, the writing, it's, for me, it's all about the words. And you know, as an actor, it, if, if it's a good script, it acts itself. I've done things for, um, you know, studios and projects that most people would have, wouldn't have unless they really like, you know, read through my IMDb. Um, but there are some jobs I've done that were tiny, minute, uh, a moment in my, in my career that I just thought was amazing. And then there were then things I've done that were long-term. I was like, mm, it's all right. It was, you know, um, but certainly anything I've done for the Star Wars universe has been utterly uh, um, an honor. Um, and I've done quite a bit for the Star Wars universe for various things. Um, sometimes you get to do like, you know, when we did the, the Robot Chicken Star Wars specials, that was a that was a hoot because we were actually, I don't like to say making fun of, but it was a satire, it was a farce uh, with, the, with, a, with a beloved franchise that had George Lucas's blessing, which, which was really, really cool. I think he was, was actually in some of these. Um, and he uh, screened, he debuted each one at Skywalker Ranch for us, which was really, really kind of surreal. Yeah, oh my gosh. I gotta be like, I'm a huge Robot Chicken fan. And one of my, some of my favorite episodes were the Star Wars episodes. So, you know, when I was doing my research on, you know, just to get some tidbits that I didn't already know about you, and I saw that you voiced uh, Luke Skywalker, not only in Robot Chicken, but also in a ton of video games as well. Yeah. I mean, it was like, just kind of like you said, surreal for me just to kind of meet you and know that I was going to talk to the person who had made me laugh so hard those late nights during Adult Swim. But uh, before we get into some of the big, you know, uh, voiceover roles that you've been through, I did want to talk about a project of yours that was kind of, you know, known by a lot of people at the time, but kind of, you know, not so much now. I wanted to talk about Jeff. For those of you, okay. who, for those of you who don't know, it was a 
game show in the form of Jeopardy, hosted by the one and only Bob Bergen. And yeah. it, it just kind of like a kid's version of Jeopardy. So how did you kind of get that gig and kind of, you know, are there any fun stories behind it? It's a, it's a good question because uh, I didn't ever seek out to be a game show host. Um, <laughs> I was in New York uh, on a talk show called The Pat Bullard Show, promoting the first Space Jam movie. Um, and I got a call afterwards from, I think, Pat Bullard's agent who said, she was a hosting agent, and she said, you are really entertaining. Um, would you ever think of hosting? And I said, no, not really, because I, you know, I don't like shaving. And I just, I just <laughs> the idea of, of being on camera wasn't appealing to me, and I like, I like voiceover. And my voiceover agent at the time, said, I told her the story, she said, don't be a schmuck. If they know your face, they can get you more for your voice. I went, okay. So I took a meeting with this agent, and it was, at the, it was in the 90s. It was at the time where Geraldo Rivera was getting chairs thrown at him. And, you know, it was, it was just the beginning of, like, the Jerry Springer thing. Mm -hmm. So I said to the agents, look, I don't want to do anything controversial. I don't want to do anything political. I don't want to do anything where people are, are beating each other up. So if there's anything I'm right for you think I'm right for, I'll, I'll, I'll try. And the first audition they sent me on was, I don't know if it was called Jep at the time or if it was just called Junior Jeopardy. It was produced by the same people that did Jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And I went to the first audition. There were a lot of auditions. I went to the first audition. I think people say to me sometimes, what is the secret of success? One of the secrets of success is don't care. Just go in there, have fun, and don't give a damn. Don't, don't, don't put so much pressure on yourself that you've got to get this. You've got to book this. You've got to make them happy. I went there. I wasn't a jerk, but I didn't care if I got it or not. And I, I had watched Jeopardy, but I'd never memorized Jeopardy. So I went to the audition and I just kind of went through the motions and I had fun. And then I got a callback and then I got another callback and then I got another callback and finally I got a screen test. And for the screen test, um, they had us, I think there were three or four of us testing for the part. And they had us do a, a half hour episode of Jeopardy on the Jeopardy stage. And Johnny Gilbert was the announcer, and they had three kids who were, uh, their, their, their parents were Sony executives um, as the contestants. So I walked up to the kids, and I said, all right, guys, make me look good. I'll buy you each a car. <laughs> and one of, the, um, one of the categories was famous cartoon characters. So for each clue, I did the voice. And so, like, for instance, one of the clues was, um, he lives in Jellystone Park and he's smarter than the average bear. Who is Yogi Bear? Very good. Uh, and at the end of my screen test, one of the producers came up to me and said, okay, number one, congratulations, we'd like to hire you. Number two, have you ever thought of doing voiceover? Because <laughs> they, they, they had no idea what I did. Because in this business, you know, unless they're invested in, in what you do, they don't know. So, by the way, I ended up buying each of the kids a little matchbox car. I didn't tell them what kind of car I was going to get them, but I think that's I did smart. <laughs> so the, 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 the show was fun. The job was fun. Um, we did five shows a day. Uh, it's hard work, probably the most challenging work I ever did uh, as a performer. But it was thoroughly enjoyable. So... So now, okay, now moving her on from Jeff, I, 
I found that out last night because, you know, I try to do, you know, a bunch of research for these guests. And, yeah, I watched a couple of shows and it was so fun. And you made it, you know, fun. Even when the kids kind of, you know, messed up or, you know, didn't, you know, win the grand prize, you still made it really right. fun for them. And, you know, it was very heartwarming in my personal opinion. But uh, moving on from Jeff, I did want to talk about, you know, Arsene Lupin, you know, that has a mass following. The show's been on, or the anime, rather, has been an ongoing series, has been reintroduced, reinvented, you know, so on. Yeah. Are there any kind of fond memories behind uh, doing that character? So funny. I mean, I did that for Streamline. Uh, I think it was, I think Cagliostro was the first one I did, and I think that was Miyazaki's first feature. It was. Uh, it was Carl Masick and Jerry Beck who were two of the most delightful people to ever work with because um, Jerry is uh, a fanboy at heart, loves animation. Uh, Carl, um, I don't, I seem to remember, he would, I don't think I auditioned for him for anything he hired me for. I think he just called me to, to come in and work. And at the time, I was really busy. I forget what I was doing, but I was doing, I might have been at, uh, Disney Channel. I don't remember, but I was busy doing some full-time stuff. And I kept saying, I can't do it that day. Can we reschedule? I can't do it that day. Can we? And he just kept rescheduling for my schedule. And one of my fondest memories of, of, of Cagliostro in particular was a scene where uh, Lupin was running uh, and jumping from bu building top to building top and it was like a 30 second scene and we did the entire thing in one take. And I was exhausted, they were exhausted. And I remember Carl saying to the, to the, to the engineer, please tell me you got that because I don't want to do that again. That was perfect. It was just a lot of fun. I love the character because he was just such a, a lovable goofball. You know, he, he was just a, a James Bond wannabe and he was more like Gilligan. So uh, <laughs> there was something really charming about his character, but I will, I'll tell you this, I'll, this is, I'm admitting something here. Um, I don't watch a lot of my work. And they released Cagliostro theatrically a couple of years ago for I think the 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary, I forget which. I've been 30, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and I went to see it in the theater and people in the theater kind of knew who I was and I walked in, there was like applause, I was like, it was really cool. And when the movie ended, I turned to my friends I was with, and I went, I was terrible. That was most god-awful performance. I hated it. I was so embarrassed. I do not like watching my work. Really? Is, I mean, is there yeah. anything kind of where that stems from? Kind of, or is it? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist and I'm a control freak. So when you're an actor, once you're done acting, you're not in control of which take they print, how it's edited, how you're directed, etc. So I just so there's I, some like I just watched the the Looney Tunes cartoon shorts that are on HBO Max. Watched all of those um, just because I'm just so thrilled to be a part of such a, um, a prestigious uh, package uh, for this franchise. Franchise, but um, yeah, for the most part, I just kind of don't like to hear myself, especially something I've done a long time ago that I have I can't go back and fix it. So. Sure, sure. I mean, you're. I guess you're your own worst critic. So, and that kind of pretty much. So, yeah, yeah. But my, my, my joy isn't 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 is at the microphone. That's where I really enjoy. Well, sure. This, it's not necessarily sitting in the theater watching the finished product. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. Though you did bring up a name a little bit ago that I actually want to use as a perfect segue into our next topic. <laughs> you talked about Hayao Miyazaki. A lot of you watching will know him as you know 
the creator of Studio Ghibli, and one of his most prestigious films, and my personal favorite movie of all time, is Spirited Away. And ladies and gentlemen, if you guys missed the intro and are watching live on VisionCon's Facebook page, you'll know that Mr. Bob Bergen is none other than the voice of the one and only No Face, one of the main characters. Dude, I got mine here. Yeah, I know, I saw it and I was like, ha is that, the cool, is that the cool bank? Yeah, it is. Isn't it cool? Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, I had a lot of uh, coins in them and I used to carry all my coins in it. But then the bottom, I think it, it like gets stuck. So it took me like the longest time to get it open. So now I just, <laughs> like, but, um, but yeah, no face from Spirited Away. Again, you know, my favorite movie of all time. Kind of, how did you kind of get that role? How'd you find out about it? And then kind of, you know, any fun things behind it? Yep, uh, I got that role because of somebody named Mickey McGowan, who is a casting director and had hired me for many a Pixar and Disney picture to do. If you guys ever watch the end of a animated feature, you see a, a bunch of names that says additional voices. Um, that's the collective us who aren't celebrities voicing the lead, voicing hundreds of other characters throughout the film. And instead of having the, the, the credits roll for about three hours with all the little incidental voices that we do, we made an agreement years ago with SAG that we will just be lumped under additional voices and leave it at that just so we have screen credit and we're in the residual pool. So because so I had done tons, tons, tons of animated features for Disney and Pixar. And Pixar, uh, the, the good people behind Pixar, produced uh, the English dub of Spirited Away. So Mickey hired me and a bunch of other actors to go to Disney and work on this film. And she had in mind for me to play this little frog. And I, I, I the little frog I think pops up at the beginning of the film. Um, and I voiced him and the, the, the director said, we also want you to play this no face character because he doesn't say much throughout much of the film. He just kind of goes, ah, Ah, uh, ah, uh, and I said, okay, and they said, but he eats the frog, and he takes on, he morphs into this creature frog-like thing, and then he pukes, eats everything and pukes it, so we just think it would be a, a great that you play both of those characters, so again, I didn't audition for it, I just, I was there, they had me in mind for these characters, and um, I, I had a blast, I, I had, I, I, you know, when you, when you work on a film like that, because it's, uh, it's dubbed, when, let me let me back pedal a little bit. Most of the time we record first. Really? So we record the voices first and then they animate to the soundtrack. When it's anime, obviously, we're 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 matching sync, so we're watching the film as we do it. But I'm only watching the parts I'm in. I have no idea what the story is. I have no idea what I'm doing or why. So um I will tell you that I had one ad lib in the film, yeah. it's when uh, No Face is vomiting like furniture and all kinds of like things. And when he was done, there was a, a moment of dead air. And I just, I just ad-libbed, excuse me. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that would be the ad-lib. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they kept it. I, and you never know what they're gonna keep until right. you see the film. So I will, I, I will, I will be really honest. I, so I, I went to the cast and crew screening. I took my manager at the time. And we're watching this movie. And when it was over, she looked at me and she goes, did, did, we, did, we, did we do acid tonight? 
And I said, why? She goes, that was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I said, no, I, I got to agree with you. And she said, I'm trying to think of how, because she, she represented me, she's my manager. So a little girl with her parents stop off at a diner. They eat food. They turn into pigs. She goes to a bathhouse for ghosts. I said, yeah, you're, you know, you're, this is it. That's the story. Keep going. That, that's, yeah. She goes, and then things happen. I said, yeah, that's, that, that, you can sell it like that. There you go. <laughs> and I would, I would say that, so when I started doing fan conventions and I would sit at the table signing things and I would have, you know, um, uh, Looney Tunes and just various, you know, what I thought were uh, popular things. And people would come up to me. Do you have anything with No Face? Do you have anything with Lupin? Do you have anything with, like, oh, I guess I need to, there are fans of this stuff. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many tattoos I've seen of No Face that I, I've signed. Really? So, on various places of all kinds of shapes and sizes. Oh, and I got a, can I, can I tell you a, a Comic-Con No Face story? Absolutely. So, I'm at San Diego Comic-Con, and there's a giant No Face walking towards me. I'm like, well, this is cool. Um, so, he leans down, and he says, can I take a picture with my mouth on your head? I said, sure. So if people have never been to San Diego Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con is just the coolest, most overwhelming uh, four-day celebration. But each day smells a little bit worse. I'm just saying, okay, latex does not breathe, and sometimes people don't change. Well, no face, this is probably Sunday, so this is about four days in, and he, and he puts his head on mine, and it is like an onion factory, it smells so bad. Ooh. But I didn't want to let on, didn't want to be, you know, make him hurt his feelings, and so we took our picture, he got stuck. <gasps> no. And he, could, and he couldn't lift off, and he's dripping on me, uh. and, and he's apologizing, and I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. I, I just didn't want to hurt his feelings, but, we, we finally escaped and I had to get to a panel. I ran to my hotel room, showered, changed, it's really, really fast because I didn't want people to think it was me. But uh, he felt so bad and I felt bad that he felt bad. But I, I never saw the picture. Hey, if you're watching right now, send me the picture. Really? Oh my God. I mean, yeah, that poor guy. I mean, obviously he didn't mean to, but. No, we totally didn't mean to at all. I've seen some pretty great No Face cosplays. Like, for instance, uh, for VisionCon last year, you know, I wasn't able to take as many pictures with cosplayers that I saw because they yeah. were really great, but I had to run, you know, from interview to interview. But there was one I, I made special note to take a picture with, and it was a cosplayer of No Face. So if you're watching this one from the Midwest, please hit us up because, you know, I love your there work. You, you did a great job. But I uh, know it's funny that your manager kind of <laughs> said that because, you know, obviously uh, Spirited Away, my favorite movie of all time, and I've been watching it you know, ever since, you know, I was a wee lad. So, you know, when I was right. little, my parents said, and yeah, they essentially kind of said the same thing that your manager did. So I thought that was Well, funny. and we were driving home and I said, but you know what, back in the, in the 40s, people said the same thing about Fantasia, you know, that it was just some psychedelic, doesn't make sense, beautiful to watch. Sure. Uh, so... You know, um, listen, um, the, the, what, what, what blows me away about Spirited Away is it's not computer animation. It is all hand-drawn. And I've got, I've been to uh, some, some uh, animation conventions where I have, a, I have a loop in the third cell. I'm dying for a, a Spirited Away cell. That would be cool. 
That would be sick. I know. Yeah. Hiro Miyazaki, you know, so much respect for the man. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's fueled by only cigarettes and coffee, but, you know. And an incredible imagination. Oh, my God. I can't, I can't even imagine. You could lock me in a room for an entire year, and I couldn't come up with anything yeah. that, you know, yeah. reminiscent of that man. Yeah. But I did want to talk about now, you know, obviously those are all been big roles. You have a long history throughout your entire work in the business, you know, of great characters. But of course, I would be remiss if we did not talk about, of course, Porky Pig and Tweety Bird. So how did you get that role? Kind of how much does that role mean to you being arguably one of your more popular roles? Well, it's the reason I got into the business in the first place. In fact, uh, the first, I, I was work. I was a working actor. Uh, I was, you know, on lots of animated programs and lots of commercials and whatever. Uh, at the time that Mel Blanc passed away, and I had a I had a good agent who just got me into audition. Uh, so I mean, your first round of auditions uh, today is in your home studio. In fact, if you want, I can just do this really fast and see that little. That's my home studio right there. That little that little box. Right oh, that's neat. Yeah, so it's an ISO booth. Um, but back then you would audition in your agent's office. And uh, from that callback, after callback, after callback, after callback. And um, I, the first job I did was Tiny Toon Adventures in 1990. And um, to this day, none of us who do classic characters are really the voice of. We just happen to get hired when they call us. So no matter who does what classic character, you're, that, you're the character that day. But I'm not the voice of anything. I've done them, I think, more than anybody else in 30 years. But I'm, there are certainly lots of people who've done all these characters, and then some, there will, and there always will be. Um, but I just, it was a long story short, through a series of auditions. And I've had to re-audition for them now, I think, seven or eight times oh, really? in 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So you're not just like the go-to, like, hey, I'm making a Looney Tunes movie. Who am I going to call up? Bob Bergen. Now, you still have to... Um, for some, for some things, yeah. We did a show called uh, New Looney Tunes. Uh, and while I was doing New Looney Tunes, which I didn't audition for, I had to audition for these Looney Tunes cartoons that were on HBO Max. So it just depends. I would say, you know, if it's a commercial or a game, I mean, they're... 30 years, seven, eight auditions. So there's a lot of time in between where it's just, hey, can you work on Thursday? We're doing this commercial with Tweety or we're doing this uh, uh, toy for, for Porky, whatever. So um, I just, you know, I, every time the phone rings, I'm very, very uh, grateful. Sure. I mean, you've always been the Porky Pig. I knew, but when researching, you know, all of your roles and everything, you know, I didn't realize so many different people had played Porky Pig, you know, not quite as many instances as you have but you know a lot of other people have played Porky Pig so I get that makes a lot of sense because you know on certain other I've always been a big Looney Tunes fan and so mm -hmm. for certain properties you know when I'd hear it Porky Pig I remember Porky Pig sounding a little off and I always just kind of thought huh I mean I guess you know you were just having an off day that day or you had like a, a cold or something but no I mean there were just other people I honestly well, oh, I'm sorry go well, ahead. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you a, a, a quick story about that one um so pretty early on um they, uh, Nike did a series of commercials called uh, Hair Jordan, which eventually became Space Jam. And the first, the first Hair Jordan spot, Michael Jordan comes up at the end, he goes, that's all folks. And Porky goes, you believe that's my line. <laughs> so 
I happened to have laryngitis the day of the session, literally just from a cold. And I get to the session, I said, guys, I'm sorry, I've got a terrible case of laryngitis. Well, the ad agency uh, took that as I lost the ability to do this character. Okay. So like a week later, my agent calls me and says, all right, bad news. They're holding auditions for Porky Pig for this commercial again. I said, so um, I said, well, does that mean I'm, I'm out of it? And she said, no, let's audition. I said, well, they're not going to. She goes, no, no, let's audition under a fake name and see what happens. I said, oh, okay. I, I, I auditioned under a fake name. I got the job. She, when she booked me, she didn't book my name. She booked the fake name and I walked in, which was kind of risky, but it worked out fine. Are you able to say the fake name? Oh, I have no idea what it was. Oh, you have no idea what it was? <laughs> Not a clue. That's funny. Fact, I probably never even said it. I mean, chances are she was the one that slated my name and sent it into them. I have no idea what she said. That is, that's ballsy, but it's a genius plan. Yeah. And then we did another commercial, and then I had to audition for Space Jam. So, uh, yeah. Now, that's... It's kind of like either, you know, straining your voice or, you know, God forbid, losing your voice. Is that a realistic, you know, danger for people in your field? And if so, kind of what are steps that you take that could help people? Because a lot of people watching are aspiring voice actors or at least sure. interested in maybe getting into it. Are there any tips yeah. you have for stuff like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if this is necessarily tips for everybody, but th this is what I do. Uh, first of all, I won't do anything that hurts. Okay. Um, if I do, if I have an audition and the voice hurts, then I won't do it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just stop. Uh, and there is a difference between pain and strain. Uh, for instance, games, I turn down nine out of 10 game auditions because they're screaming. Um, you know, I, there are certain companies I'll do, even if it's screaming because they've been so good to me in my career. Um, you know, the, the, the nice people at Lucas, I would do anything for them. Uh, so they need, <laughs> they need Luke to scream, no, I'll do it. I'll, ha I'll happily do it. Um, but, you know, I don't do a lot of talking on the phone. Um, I, if it's a very, if it's a throaty session, for instance, new Looney Tunes, I played this character named Gabby Goat, who popped up in the early Looney Tunes and they decided to bring him back for this. And Gabby Goat talks like this. It doesn't hurt that much, but if I do it for a really long time, it's going to start to feel. So I was doing uh, one day Gabby Goat, Tweety, and Porky for New Looney Tunes, and we recorded Gabby first. And after Gabby, Tweety sounded like he drank scotch and smoked cigarettes. <laughs> so I said, okay, I have a request. Can we save Gabby to the end? If this happens again, the director's like, oh, absolutely. No problem. So baby your voice. Don't do anything that hurts. Uh, it's more professional at, a, at an audition if it starts to hurt to speak up about it because God forbid you book it. And what happens if it's 26 episodes and each pay, each script is 30, 40 pages and by page five of the first episode you lose your voice because the character is too throaty. I think my buddy um, Maurice LaMarche when he did Yosemite Sam requested to do them on, on Fridays. Mel Blanc requested to do them on Fridays. Because, and I wouldn't even audition for him. Um, and I can't even do him that, that well, but my name's Yosemite Sam. And just that one little moment of saying that, 
I can feel my, my, my vocal cords saying, please stop doing that. Yeah, it, it even, it just sounds like it hurts. I mean, it's a great voice, but I mean, the, the amount of dexterity you need to, you know, keep it for so long, I mean, I can't even Yeah, it. yeah. But is there, uh, you actually brought up something that I kind of want to explore a little bit, and I know this might be a case-by-case -case basis, but when you are recording for a show, do they usually just kind of record a lot of episodes, you know, in one time, or do they space it out more? No, you'll probably do one episode at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's TV, uh, episodic animation, uh, they will have as many cast members in the room as possible because acting is reacting, to be able to work off of each other. So Looney Tunes cartoons, there were a few times I had to do Porky Wild. In fact, now that we're in a pandemic, I'm doing all my stuff in my home studio without the rest of the cast because of logistics. But um, the best case scenario is having the whole cast there. Uh, being able to work off of Eric Bauza on Looney Tunes cartoons, and he does Daffy, I do Porky. I, it, it would be an inferior recording without him in that room. But, not everybody is available. Um, animated features, you're by yourself. I rarely, have, if ever, have had the rest of my castmates in an animated feature. I did a film for Disney called The Emperor's New Groove, where I play a squirrel. And all of my scenes are with Patrick Warburton. And we've got wonderful chemistry on, on, on screen. We've never been in a studio together in our lives. Really? We did a feature, we did a sequel straight to video, we did three years on a series. And he and I've never shared a microphone. So, but that's just a really good editor and a really good director who's able to remember the last actor's performance. If you're second, they'll remember what the other actor did. If you're first, it doesn't matter. Sure. So, um, but I much prefer the full cast mm -hmm. if, if possible. I just don't have any say. That's, that is nuts though. <clears throat> thing. Is there, so, so with this pandemic, you know, we're COVID-19, you know, we're all pretty homebound in quarantine. Yeah. Are there any, are there any drawbacks kind of in that vein to recording, you know, whether it be auditions or just parts for a show that you're a part of at home, or are there even any uh, benefits to doing that? Um, well, the benefit would be that I don't have to drive on the freeway between jobs. <laughs> that's fair. That, that's, that's nice. Um, we've always auditioned from home for the last, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah. So that's, 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 that hasn't changed. What has changed is that I have to record all of my stuff solo. So my booth over there, um, I have an arm inside the booth that I put up, put my, my iPad on, and, I, and it's a Zoom session. And I've got the directors, the writers, the producers, the network people, the assistants. I've got a monitor, two monitors, one monitor here and a monitor facing the booth, so I, can, I record myself here. Mm -hmm. And I can watch my levels. I can I have to slate my own takes, which is a pain in the ass, because I have to slate and then go right into character. So that's a, that's a just a the quickness of that transition is a challenge. You you do it because you have to do it. But if the character is supposed to be you know really angry and screaming and you know kind of frantic, and I slate you know okay line seventy five take thirty two, boom go into character. So in the, in, in the real world outside of pandemic, we've got people on the other side of the glass doing all that. And the other disadvantage is that um, I don't have my fellow cast members there to play with, to work off of. So, um, the, but the nice thing is uh, voiceover, not just animation, but the voiceover industry is the only uh, aspect of any kind of acting that continued uh, production during the pandemic. 
theaters closed down, no movies, no TV shows, no, no on-camera commercials. So to be able to continue making a living doing what I do, uh, that's, that's been a blessing. But it, it, it's, it's been an adjustment. I had, to, I had to spend a couple of grand to upgrade my studio and have it tested out by Disney, by Netflix, by Warner Brothers, all the, all the companies excuse me, that I'm working for. So um, I passed, yay. But um, I would say within a week to 10 days, I went from what the hell do I do to having a broadcast quality studio. That's incredible, though. But uh, I mean, you know, it is kind of having all for us, you know, we have to adjust, you know, to the new norm, at least for right now. But with that said, a lot of us is new norm contains a lot of free time. So and again, like I said, for a lot of people watching either live on Facebook or now here on YouTube, a lot of them are into voice acting, either they're currently aspiring to be a voice actor kind of already down the road, or even just maybe now watching you kind of said, hey, maybe this is something I want to get into. Are there mm -hmm. any suggestions or advice you can give them and what they can do right now, now that we have all this free time? Well, first of all, uh, it, you, you, the, the magic word that you said is acting. Mm -hmm. It is acting. And it's the people tell me I can, I've got a great voice or I can do a whole bunch of impressions that's not gonna make a great working voice actor. What's gonna make a great working voice, voice actor is, is being a great actor. So study acting, study improv, eventually study voiceover. What people watching right now have that I didn't have is what they're watching this on. Um, I didn't have the internet. I picked up the phone book and called Mel Blank. I mean, I, I, I literally would, would call studios and networks and today, you can go to LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and, and connect with the major players. You've got resources like Dee Bradley Baker has a page called I want to be a voice actor.com, which has information from I'm curious about it to I'm a working actor. Now what? Um, my friend Chuck Duran has these video podcasts called VO Buzz Weekly, which is over 300 interviews with agents and actors and producers. Um, where, you know, if you're, if you're interested in pursuing animation voiceover, you go to IMDb, you look at the cast list, cross-reference to see who these uh, actors' agents are, go to VO Buzz Weekly and see Heather Dame from Atlas or uh, Pat Brady from CESD and hear from their mouth, this is what I demand from actors. You can go to these talent agencies' websites and listen to the demos and go, I've got to be better than that. That's what they don't need. So if you, I'm with Atlas Talent. If you go to Atlas Talent and go to their, their, their actors' demos, if you're interested in getting into this business, there's about a dozen agents in Los Angeles that represent animation actors. Just listen to those demos. That's what they don't need. If you have anything that sounds similar to what they already have, this is why nine out of 10 demos get rejected because they don't need what they already have. They need original and they need brilliant. And they don't want to know that you can do 500 different voices. They'd rather hear five to 10 superb original characters than another 200. Yeah, we've got people that can do Edwin. Yeah, we've got people who can do Batman. We want to hear something different than original. Because when you audition, you can't give them what they already, already have. You got to give them something different. Sure, I mean, makes a lot of sense. Well, one more thing I wanted to talk to you about before we go into the plug zone is actually a documentary that you are a part of. You know, it's yes. 
I know that voice. You know, a lot of people watching probably have already seen it. For those of you who haven't, do you like us to talk a little bit about the documentary? It was so much fun. Um, I'll talk about the premiere of the documentary and then I'll work backwards. Sure. I met, the premiere was at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. People Google that. It was, it was one of the first uh, theaters ever built in Hollywood. And it was attended by everybody from June Foray to our agents to uh, everybody I work with. Sitting in that theater and watching it was uh, educational for me because I'm hearing my fellow voice actors talk about the process. I kept hearing the word acting. Uh, uh, Andrea Romano, who is a casting slash voice director legend, talking about working with uh, Janet Waldo, and Janet Waldo was in the movie. Um, it, it was just, if I can learn from my fellow actors, I, I was thinking in the theater, imagine what people just interested in this business are gaining from this documentary. I think they, they taped me for a few hours, and I think I'm actually in it for under two minutes. So there's a lot of footage out there, additional footage. It was a long time ago, and we all look a lot, lot older now, <laughs> but I, it, would, it would be awesome if they would do a part two, part three, part four, just with the footage they didn't use for the film. I mean... I mean, just I, that kind of astounds me because you know, you, you Bob Bergen are just in my eyes anyway. You know, one of the biggest voice actors around, and just someone that we can obviously all turn to. You know, just kind of give us all just the rundown with you being in the business for so long. But you know, I do highly recommend you guys all checking out the documentary. It's absolutely fantastic. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, now is your time. If you haven't already, I know a bunch of you have already message in the comments below any questions or comments you wanted to tell Bob Bergen but right now if you haven't already go ahead and do that because we're in the plug zone ladies and gentlemen oh we're plugging oh I can feel it whoa all right there, there it is Bob Bergen if you have anything that you want to plug or promote right now be it things you're doing things you want to advertise any additional right. services that you do go ahead well there's so much I can't talk about because when you do a project you sign NDAs but I will I will, I will tease, mm -hmm. I will tease and say, I have a handful of things coming out probably in the next few years that are so cool that I'm just, you know, sometimes it's just a job. It pays the bills. Eh, that was okay. And then sometimes it's like, this is really cool. So I can think right now of about four or five things that I can't talk about from various platforms, various universes, but really, really cool. Uh, and Looney Tunes cartoon shorts on HBO Max. Uh, just so dang proud of that. We're still recording them. We've been working on those for two years and we're still uh, spewing them out. So we've got years worth of product out there. And I, used, I usually teach animation voiceover, but I can't right now because of the pandemic. My Los Angeles class has a four year wait list and just got longer because of this. And my, uh, I haven't got a weekend class booked because I can't. But if people are interested in having me come to their city to teach, email me, bob at bobbergen.com, or follow me on Instagram, bergen.bob. Um, I can't promise everything because uh, I, I needed a full class, 15 people who are interested. But I've been to Denver, I've been to New York, Dallas, uh, St. Louis. I've been all over the place. But right now we're not traveling, so perhaps maybe next year. And I will also say, guys, if you guys are watching live on Facebook right now, we have all links. According to Bob Bergen, we've got his 
Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, IMDb page, his website, LinkedIn, and a bunch of others on the chat. And if you're watching right here on YouTube, all of these links are going to be in the description below. So go ahead and check those out. And with that said, we're out of the plug zone. So right now we're going to go into viewers' comments and questions. So give me okay. quick to scroll up. A bunch of people were chatting all throughout our interview. So give me just one second. Okay, so Aaron wrote in and asked, what's your favorite memory from doing Spirited Away? I've had pleasure of meeting two of your co-stars, uh, Jason Marsden Mars and yeah. Susan Egan. So I didn't hear the question. What was the question? Oh, the question was, what is your favorite memory from doing Spirited Away? My favorite memory, I think, honestly, was when I ad-libbed, excuse me. Was excuse me? That was yeah. a I did yeah. like that. And uh, I've, known Jason, I've known Jason forever. Um, he's just one of the most nice, talented people you'll ever meet. Yeah, oh yeah, he's so great. I was a huge fan of his too. And I yeah. also, uh, just kind of casually, I also did uh, DM him to see if he wanted uh, to do an episode as well. So Jason, if you're watching, sure. check your DMs. Uh, anyway, um, Tabitha wrote in, oh my gosh, hey Zach. Oh, hi Tabitha. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know that one was for me. Um, okay, oh, another fan wrote in and said, what's your favorite Disney project that you've been in and characters you've voiced? Um... Probably the Emperor's New Groove franchise and Bucky the Squirrel, just because um, there's no there's no dialogue. Um, Patrick Warburton, who plays Kronk, speaks Squirrel, and he'll say squeak, squeak, and squeak, squeak, and Bucky will just chatter. And the way I would do that is I would read his translation in Squirrel. So if if Kronk's lines are uh huh uh huh. He said that uh, down an old dusty road, there's a witch. Don't go in there. So I'd be I'd be reading down an old dusty road. There's a witch. Don't go in there like a squirrel. That was so. I, I don't have I don't have actual words. I just have purpose, and I to me that's from a creative improv standpoint. That's 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 a blast. Oh my god! All right. Let me uh, scroll up. All right. A lot of people said that they loved Tiny Toons as, as kids. Cool. So a lot of them give them credit for that, right? Uh, someone wrote in and said, who's your favorite Looney Tune? Porky Pig. Is there any other Looney Tune? Oh, I was about to say, but besides the ones you've voiced, how about that? Ah, uh, okay. We're kind um, of that question. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know who I like? I like the one-offs. I was a huge Pete Puma fan. I don't know if you know who Pete Puma is. But he did, I think, he did one classic short. Uh, he was voiced by Stan Freeberg. Uh, he had a really big underbite, and he would go, um, That was a fun one. I loved the one with the two hillbillies with Bugs Bunny. See, I like those little one-off characters. I love, um, I love the gremlin. It was a Bugs Bunny cartoon where there's there's a little gremlin and these blockbuster bombs don't go off until you hit them just right. I, I mean, I just those are some of my favorite characters because, yeah, I mean, until TV, people never saw them again. <laughs> well, now everybody sees them. Yeah. But um, uh, oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, someone wrote in and asked, "Is there an avenue of voice acting, such kind of VO work?" that you haven't gone down, but want to? No, but there are avenues I haven't gone down because I don't want. Ooh, okay, this seems fun. Um, that would be audiobooks. Really? Is there any reason? Yeah, I, I, 
yeah, I'd rather sit and watch a grapefruit grow than sit and read a book I wouldn't read for enjoyment. Um, audio books, I, and I love them. I listen to them. I have nothing but admiration for people that, and if he's watching, Scott Brick, you were awesome on CBS Sunday morning last week. They did a whole segment on audiobooks, and Scott Brick is the god amongst gods of audiobook narrators. Uh, and and I, again, I have friends who love doing them, but it is not something that, A, I would enjoy doing, and it, they don't pay you for the time to do it. They pay you for the finished, edited hour. And you've got to do your own editing. So that's just not something creatively that would fulfill me. But I know people that wake up every day going, I would love to do an audiobook. Not me. No, not you. Not feel yet. Okay, um, uh, Marissa wrote in and asked, uh, she's not an aspiring voice actor, but she does have a leadership role in a few organizations. So what ways would you uh, advise her and everybody watching that she could work on to having a better speaking voice to captivate an audience and make uh, her more enjoyable to listen to? Um, I would say the, the answer, hang on one second, that's my doorbell. Uh, I have my volume down. Um, I would say um, speak. Take improv classes. Improv is the best training anybody can do uh, for acting, for voiceover, for public speaking, uh, for nerves, etc. But just read out loud. A anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Um, I, th I touched upon this a little bit earlier. Some people don't do well speaking because they're nervous. You can't care. If you don't care what they think, you're not going to be nervous. That doesn't mean be cocky. It means just go out there and for, whether it's an audition or speaking at a charity, you're out there just to really enjoy yourself. I, I always can think of myself when I'm acting as a, a, a party host. I don't really care if you don't like what I'm serving. I'm going to have a blast serving it. If it's not your cup of tea, so be it. But trust me, uh, I'm, I'm there to have a good time. So don't be nervous. And, and don't put the um, don't put the uh, pressure on yourself to uh, to have everyone love what you do because they're not gonna. Sure, and that actually kind of perfect segues into the final question that I'll ask for for this interview before we wrap things up. Someone wrote in and asked, "How do you deal with rejection, especially in a in a series of work that rejection is just kind of a necessary and common evil that you face? Kind of, how do you, Bob Bergen, face that evil?" Um, it's a great question, and here's the thing. Um, I, I don't go into an audition expecting to book it. Um, I, my joy is at the microphone. I have the exact same fun creatively at an audition as I would at a job. Um, if you book it, it's icing on the cake. If you look at the statistics, odds are you're not going to book it. And when you do, hey, that's great. And, and work begets work. So you might audition you know, two, three hundred times for the same person and not book it. Not because what you're doing is bad. It's not rejection. You weren't rejected. You weren't selected. And there's a lot of reasons why a great audition doesn't get the job. Perhaps they wanted a celebrity. Perhaps they've never worked with you and they don't want to take a chance on somebody new. Perhaps they've worked with you a lot and they don't want the same old, same old. They want something different. But today's audition is an insurance policy for another one. They don't tell you why you didn't get it. They only actually contact you if you get it. But they don't, you don't even hear a word when you don't get it. Um, so if you go in there without the expectation to get a job, you won't feel rejected. Because I, When my agent calls me up and says, um, you're working next Thursday on so-and-so, my first question to her is, did I audition for that? 
If I did, I have to file it in my computer. I can go back and take a listen. But once I'm done auditioning, it's, it's out of my head. I have no recollection of it because I audition for anywhere from five to 25 things a day. So there's no way I am going to remember all that, but also you will drive yourself crazy with anxiety if you hold on to every audition. Now, of course, there are some big projects that, you know, it's down between you and somebody else and if somebody else gets it and you're like, eh, that's a bummer. Um, for the most part, uh, you just, eh, that's a bummer and then move on. And then sometimes you're like, eh, but you know, don't hold on to that because there's nothing you can do about it. Honestly, I mean, your advice being, uh, you know, the not caring so much thing, I'm actually going to personally take to heart because that's a great piece of advice in my opinion. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode five of Vision Con Live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Real quick, don't forget to join us Monday, June 8th at 9 p.m. Central Time for my interview with Dave B. Mitchell. And then June 9th with my interview at 3 p.m. Central Time with voice actor Derek Stephen Prince. But until then, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, who, by the way, and, 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 and he, he took my class. Did he really, Derek? Well, I, I just know him as Steven, but that's okay. That's funny. Uh, yeah, he took my class 107 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, it would explain why he's so successful now. And I'll be sure, well, to, bring, I'll be sure to bring that up during our interview. But actually, okay, I'll give you actually something real quick before we sign off. It's interesting you say that because when I was messaging him, he was a little bit on the fence, you know, just because, you know, like you. He's oh, like, tell him I did that. Just tell him well, I did this. You see, there it is. There it is, though. Because, you know, he was a little bit on the fence at first because, you know, just like you, always busy, one of the most famous voice actors around. But so he asked, you know, what, what were some of the people that have been doing this? And I listed off the names, and yours was one of them. And he said, Zach, you had me at Bob Bergen. Uh, and I was like, I'm not even kidding. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the fifth episode of Vision Con Live. Bob, is there any last words you want to say before we head off? That's all, folks. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you guys stay safe out there.